This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Audio Judo. Very exciting, exhilarating, perhaps up to an hour worth of entertainment for your ears. Uh, Very excited about this episode. And why is that, Kyle? Because today we're talking about Boston by the band Boston. Oh, yeah. Very excited that you picked this record. Very excited. I, I knew I was very surprised that you were like so excited when I picked this. Why is that? I don't know. It, it. It. I knew that you were obviously familiar with this because it's a classic rock album. Sure. Everybody that's interested in classic rock knows this album. But uh, when I suggested it, you like lit up and you're like, really? Really? And I was like, yeah, why is that bad? And you're like, no, I love that album. It's amazing. Yeah, well, you picked it. I was excited because hands down, I think it is one of the finest rock records ever recorded. I would tend to agree with you there. It's a... a an all around great album. Not only is it well recorded and it sounds awesome. It's fun to listen to. It's just that right amount of time where it doesn't drag on. There's, there's no track on here that I feel like it's like, Oh, that's really like long. Or, it is. Oh, that's really, there's too much going on there. Like, it is near perfect. It is. And I would be hard pressed to find and name another record. That is single-handedly as good as this one from top to bottom. So I was talking to uh, with uh, my friend Chris. Let's just go ahead and call him my show consultant from now on. Okay, that's that's I, fair. That's, that's just fair. where we're at. And we were talking about this, and he said, uh, and I quote him, first three songs, their best three songs. And then he asked, has that ever happened? I'll go him one further. I'd say every single one of these songs should be on that list. Wow. I'd say these are their best eight songs. Everything post-Boston 
like the rest of the records don't look back and third stage are, mm-hmm. are derivative of this sound, this particular sound. And I know I'm going to get some pushback from my big brother mm-hmm. about that because he'll say that there's some good stuff on Don't Look Back. But I say that all this stuff is just retreads. All that stuff is just retreads of what they did here. Yeah. And I don't, you know, I honestly, I don't believe that there's actually a bad song in their catalog, generally speaking, because they've taken the blueprint so effectively from these first eight songs and applied them on everything else. So they should sound great. They're just not very original anymore. So they're all listenable. Yeah. They're all enjoyable. They're all fun, but they're not anything new it's, post this. It's that Boston sound. Right. Everybody it's the talks Boston about. sound. It's and they've, the, they've, they've found a way that was so successful on this album that they have found a way to just keep that sort of sound going through all the rest of their work. Absolutely. And, and we're not the only ones that think this is a great album, too. No, that's true. Because not only is it reviewed incredibly well, but uh, three singles from it were top 40 hits. Uh, More Than a Feeling was number five. Uh, Long Time was 22nd on the top 40. Mm-hmm. And Peace of Mind was 38th on the top 40. Uh, RIA... Certified gold in three weeks after release. Uh, certified platinum, which is a million copies sold after three months. Mm-hmm. It's the fastest platinum uh, album until uh, Guns N' Roses' Appetite, Appetite for, Destruction for Destruction came out. It's still number two. The, yeah, the debut. Yeah. The debut album. Debut album. Me, that's yeah. correct. I was like, wait a minute. What, what word am I missing there? It's the fastest debut album. Debut. Debut album. Actually, I think that would go to uh, Sir Mix a lot. That is true. The fastest debut album. <laughs> How many? Uh, 17 million copies sold in the United States. Yes. 25 that, million worldwide. That is insane. This is the benchmark. Yes. So, a little bit of uh, background on Boston. I'll give you a little, little background here. So, Tom Scholes, who. For all intents and purposes, no, I didn't say for all intensive purposes because you punch me in the face. But for all intents and purposes, Tom Scholes is Boston, with the exception of Brad Delpin mm-hmm. and some occasional role players. But Tom Scholes is is Boston, so he's knocking around the Boston club scene uh, while he's attending MIT. Um, after he gets his master's degree, he starts working for Polaroid and begins building himself a little home studio. So I think we need to explain to the kids out there. Oh, uh, Polaroid. Polaroid was a, a, a camera, camera company, company. that uh, they, they had instant cameras. Yeah, you had to develop your own photos. They didn't yes. just show up on your computer screen. Yes. You, you took the picture and you had to wait about two minutes and shake the photo or not shake the photo, depending on who you asked. See Outcast for that. There's a, there's a tip. I'll tell you what to do with it exactly. You'd shake it. Yes. Like a Polaroid picture. Mm-hmm. Not to interrupt, but I felt that we needed to clarify that. No, that's fine. That Polaroid, that's a big deal. Uh, so he begins building this uh, little home studio where he records a bunch of demos. Sent them out to uh, numerous uh, studios or uh, record companies, and they're all summarily uh, rejected. Everything. 
Yeah. So in 1974, records a new set of demos uh, with uh, what I believe to be the missing key at this point, and that's Brad Delp and his voice. Uh, and he's got uh, he adds a, a drummer in there for uh, to boot. Um, Scholes plays everything else on the bass, keys, guitar, everything. And five of the songs on those demos ultimately make it to the record that is the first Boston record. Exceptions are uh, Long Time and Smokin', mm-hmm. which are written later. People start to take notice. Uh, they dump their drummer, hire a new drummer, do a live showcase with a whole new band set up, and it's a huge success. And the band signs a deal that would ultimately haunt them for years yeah. to come. So we get to the recording of Boston, the record. The studio, or the, excuse me, the label really wanted them to come out to California to record. And they were just like, you know, you got to come out here to a studio. We've got engineers. We've got all these people. And uh, Tom Scholz was like, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I, I, you know, I feel more comfortable in my own studio. I want to stay here. I want to do it. And he, he already, he doesn't trust anybody exactly. in the industry. Exactly. So he's, he's already shying away from the, yes. like being involved with that studio scene. Yeah. And so they kind of pull over what might be one of the greatest like cons in the music industry ever. So, uh, Oh, I'm drawing a blank on his name and I didn't write it down. Richard, the guy who signed him. I forgot. Well, we'll just say their producer. All right. So their producer uh, is talking with Tom Scholes and he basically says, here's the deal. I'm going to take the rest of the band out to L.A. and we're going to pretend to record in a studio. And you stay here in your home studio and record the whole album. And then once you're done, we're going to take the tapes out to L.A. and we'll uh, engineer them and edit them there. And that's how we're going to make this whole album. So the studio or not the studio, the production company is epic. Mm -hmm. And they're thinking that this is all happening in L.A. and the band's out there and they're actually recording when, in fact, Tom Scholz is recording the whole album in this basement of this house that he rented uh, outside of Boston. Yeah, he's got a like a, a snake running from a remote truck that yeah. he has parked in his driveway in through the basement window into his pine paneled basement, like little corner yeah. next to the water heater type studio. And it was it was so small. They had a they did have a drum kit set up down there, but if they wanted to play the organ, they had to take the drum kit down and haul it out of the basement to bring the organ out so they could play it. Cause they had a, a Leslie, which is a, a Leslie speaker, which is uh, this big speaker box that has a, a horn, a speaker horn in it that spins around to create this really unique sound. Uh, and in order to get it out into the middle of the room where they could actually record it, they had to take the whole drum kit, take it apart, take it upstairs, leave it in the kitchen or wherever, and then come back down to the basement, pull the Leslie speaker out in the middle of the room, fire it up, play the organ. Yeah, like normal. Yeah, you know. Yeah, that that Just, sounds like the normal process that, that one would undertake when obviously, recording a record for a major label. I undertake that every day. I take my drum kit apart. I pull the Leslie out. It's great. It's fine. I, that makes sense. 
So that's how the whole album was recorded. They, uh, Tom Scholz did the, pretty much everything in his basement, and then they went out to L.A. and recorded the vocals and some of the drum tracks, I believe, in L.A., and then engineered it all there. And, and let's talk for a second about Tom Scholz okay. and the wizard wizardry that oh, is yeah. Tom Scholz. So MIT graduate, yes, multiple degrees, and this guy is tinkering around with sound. Besides being an excellent player, he also has all these ideas for, for how to layer, how to split, how to harmonize, how to, how to make one guitar sound like several guitars. Yeah. And he develops this unit, this chorus pedal, essentially called the Rockman, which is now an industry standard. And that this 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 gets developed in this little basement studio while he's working on this record. And this is this is the benchmark. This is the benchmark, the landmark rock album, which precipitated the advent of arena rock. This is where I believe arena rock was born with this record. And then you start to break down more than a feeling. It's acoustic guitar parts. All that's recorded on a hundred dollar Yamaha guitar. Yeah. It, it, the entire album was recorded for like a few thousand dollars. Yeah. And that that's talking un- about an ROI. Yeah. That, and that's so unheard of. I mean, a low investment for an album like this from a studio would have been half a million dollars at this time. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about, you know, like you said, a couple thousand bucks. That's insane. So the first time, let's see. So the first time I heard this record. So this this was one of those this is one of the one of those Big Brother influenced records. Of so he had this he loved Boston, loves loves Boston. He used to listen to it all the time in the basement while he was doing his homework and I'd be down there playing and it, that kind of thing seeps in. Mm-hmm. So you know, when I first got my paper route, of course, you know, one of the first things I wanted to do was buy a bunch of music. And so 13 years old, 1986-ish, early part of 86. I do. Yeah, you were two. I was two. Uh, I just want to point that. that out. Yeah, yeah. Shut <laughs> up, jackass. So uh, it was 80, 1986, I was 13. But, you know, first thing I want to do is buy a bunch of music. And, you know, like any idiot at that age, I fell for the, the the oldest trick in the book, the old Columbia House Rope-A-Dope. Oh, no. Ooh, F- 12 records for one penny. Right. How could I go wrong, Mom? Well, you don't <laughs> want to do it. Yes, I do want to do that. I absolutely I do want to do, do that. So this one, so the first Boston record and third stage are two of the 12 that I ordered because I wanted, I wanted my own copies of this because I... Listen to it on eight track. My brother had an eight track. He had it on vinyl. You know, I, want, I wanted my own copies of it, and I ran that tape to death. <laughs> ran it out because I listened to it all the time because it's because it's such an easy listen. It's such yes. a refreshing listen. It they're they're just great great songs. It's very appealing. It appeals to a, a huge amount of people, a huge audience. It's so 
it's pleasant and it's fun to listen to. And, and you, I mean, I guarantee that even if you're not somebody who has ever even consciously heard of Boston before, Mm -hmm. if we were to play this album for you, or if you go listen to it right now, you'll recognize at least one song on here, probably more than one because they're so popular and they still get tons of airplay or even on you classic rock stations. Even you youngsters have probably played these songs on rock band oh, or guitar right. hero. I didn't even think about that's that. That's how my kids know them. I would play it in the car after that. And they're like, Oh, and they'd start singing along. I'm like, how do you know the words to this song? I don't know that I've ever played this. And they're like, Oh, it's in, it's on rock band. It's on guitar <laughs> hero. I'm like, Oh, there are redeeming qualities on video games. <laughs> like, that's good to know. And so, so many of these songs weren't were already written for the uh, for the demo. So, "Smoking" was an ori- was originally a song called "Shaken." Yes, that that Brad Delp had written. Um, "Hitch a Ride" was originally called uh, "San Francisco Day." Mm-hmm. Uh, so I did say, I did mention that um, it's a near-perfect record. So one of the things uh, show consultant Chris and I have talked about is how important um, and how crucial uh, the actual order of the songs is for a record. Mm-hmm. So if I had my choice, um, what I would have done is I would have finished the record with long time and I would have put hitch a ride to end the first side. That's what I would have done because with, with the the keyboard solo for a long time, right at the beginning, it's a, to me, that's a perfect album closer. That would have been very interesting. So if I had my choice, that's the only thing in my head that keeps this from being a perfect record. And I wonder if that was more of a, I mean, obviously, all musicians make some kind of conscious decision of what order they're going to put things in on in the album. But I wonder if this was more of a this is our first album type of a situation Hmm. for them to pick this order. Or do you think that it was more of a this is how it has to fit because of the length of everything? Or do you think that it it was they they picked this order for a specific reason? No. Yeah, I feel like it's B. I I feel like. They uh, set it up because uh, the long time foreplay long time is such a longer song that they finished out that a side and then so the balance of the record so it's three songs on the front five on the back mm-hmm. uh, I never understood why they would have finished it with let me take you home tonight it just seems like a weird ending to me yeah but I can kind of what's weird about that to me as well is. It really feels like the middle of Let Me Take You Home Tonight would be like a great ending. And then it kind of has that reprise like, yeah. and it builds back up. And it's like. Well, he yeah. is good at the building. Yes. He does like to build. And uh, so, you know, everything about it from top to bottom, the the, the album cover mm-hmm. is legendary. I was just about to talk about that, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, what, what would you like to say about so, it? So uh, do you know who Paula Cher is? She's a very famous designer, but she's the one who designed this. She was working at Epic back in the 70s. What's her name? Uh, Paula Cher, S-C-H-E-R. She's a very famous graphic designer. She does a lot of stuff with uh, typography and text, but she designed this cover, and apparently they went through 
quite a few iterations, including stuff where it was like, it's a Boston cream pie that says Boston on it. Please, God, no. (laughs) You know, and just all kinds of really dopey, you know, Boston themed stuff that they said, no, no, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. It's a Red Sox baseball cap. And uh, I guess uh, Tom Scholz said, you know, it has to be, I want like a space, or I I want a guitar on the cover, I believe is what he said. Mm -hmm. And she came up with this design of the guitar shaped spaceship with the city of Boston in the guitar spaceship mm-hmm. uh, and they're flying away from exploding earth. And I guess they the original design had them shooting lasers at the earth. And Tom Scholl said, no, Boston would never attack the earth. We, we need to be doing something more positive. So they're getting away from an exploding earth, which is that's apparently more escaping, positive. Escaping, even though that's a journey record. Yeah. You know, he's got to escape. There was a quote from Paula Scher. Uh, she, she basically hates this album cover. <laughs> she thinks that it's pretty mediocre and it's, uh, it's, uh, not her favorite piece of work. She probably likes the don't look back one more than this one. I will, um, I will have to find the, cause it is a little cooler. I think I bookmarked it on my computer at home and I don't have it here, but, uh, I will find the, uh, the article and leave a link in the show notes for you. But uh, she basically said that it's not her favorite piece of work, and she's upset that it sort of is the the piece that everybody recognizes. And she's done so much. She really has done a lot of graphic design and a lot of – she teaches now. She's a very famous uh, graphic design teacher. Take what you get. Right. People remember you for something. Throw that on your resume, you know, uh, design the Boston cover, people, whatever. People remember you for the record that sold 25 million of itself. I mean, <laughs> oh, that's too bad. It's a shame, right? That's too bad. And I think I had that over time in four different formats, vinyl, cassette, CD, and then deluxe CD. Ooh. Like deluxe. Four of that, Paula. You're welcome. <laughs> but I, I remember... uh and the branding itself, like the badge that is the Boston logo. Uh, I'm pretty sure my brother had, remember, the, the old colorful uh, belt buckles yeah. that were kind of glittery. Pretty sure he had a Boston. I know he had a Sticks one for sure, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure he had uh, a Boston one as well. And all this just iconic imagery of it. And, it, I mean... Like I said, uh, peace of mind, like everything sounds so good. And yeah. I think the reason why it's maintained this kind of le- like its popularity over time is that, yeah, there's there's a, a specific sound that kind of dates it, but it sounds good enough to be to have been recorded now. Yes. It doesn't have a dated recording style yeah like the songs might be dated their delivery might be dated but the way it sounds sonically it doesn't sound yeah 1975 to me it doesn't it doesn't fit with it doesn't fit with a lot of its contemporaries either because a lot of people were going for a much dirtier sound a much you know heavy uh, distortion kind of a sound mm-hmm. at this point. And this is so clean. And yes, there is, um, you know, 
effects pedals and things being used, but it's not like a distortion effect. It's specifically like, um, uh, God, I can't think tonight. <laughs> um, the, uh, the Rockman amplifier. Yeah. It's specifically, it was so popular because it had a huge, uh, or incredibly small signal to noise ratio. Mm-hmm. It was, it created this incredibly, incredibly clean sound that didn't have like a lot of distortion and a lot of noise in it. It's the Boston sound. It's the Boston sound. I mean, just on Wikipedia, this is a list of people who have used the Rockman in very famous albums. I have a feeling this is going to be a thorough list. Uh, Tom Scholl's on Boston, from Boston. I don't believe that for Obviously. a second. Oh. Uh, Steve Stevens. Alex Lifeson of Rush. Yes, I'm familiar with him. Uh, have you heard of this band before? Vaguely. I, I don't kinda, know. If, like, I'm not sure. Oh, don't. look, there's a t-shirt on the wall over there. Oh, there's One about t-shirt. 30 of them. <laughs> huh. uh, let's see here. Uh, Charlotte Caffey of the Go-Go's. Uh, Phil Collin and Steve Clark of Def, Def Leppard. Billy Gibbons of ZZ Top. Uh, Megadeth on the album So Far So Good from 1988. They Bernie Labarge on his CBS album. Barging in. Never heard of him before, to be honest with you. Uh, Neil Schoen of Journey. Journey, yeah. Uh, Kurt Kirkwood of The Meat Puppets on their album Up on the Sun. Uh, Buckethead. Uh, Joe Satriani. I can never pronounce his last name. Satch. Satriani. Yeah. I always say Citriani, and I don't know why. I can see the A in it. Makes sense. It's and every time. Use it. Uh, David Gilmore of Pink Floyd on his solo album About Face. Oh, oh, it's a great record, too. Never heard that one. I'll have to listen to it sometime. Also listen to On an Island. That's another one, too. That's great. Hmm. Go on. That's it. That's that's everybody that's on the list. That's the whole list? That's the whole list. Now, that is by no means a comprehensive list. That is just a list of very famous people and albums that have used this. It's a highlighted list. Yes. It's a highlights list. Highlights. Like, like the, like, never mind. Like the magazine? Yeah, I was going to say like the magazine, but no. no. you could say it. So, okay, so a little bit of story here. So there were three, let's go, we're going to go back in time. We'll go a little bit back in time. This would be about 1988. Don't tell me how old you were again. Four. That was 16. Please continue. Okay, so there were three. Uh, rock stations at this time in the Detroit area. WCSX classics, <laughs> right? So it's 94.7 WCSX and they cover about 1969 to 1981. So the end of the Beatles to like journey. Okay. That, that swath, that's what they play. Right. So Boston would have been, prevalent on yeah. there they would have been played on there uh then there's go up the dial a little bit 98.7 was wllz wheels wheels and that's uh so they focused on aor so album oriented rock which you would have heard boston on that station as well Makes sense but more uh 1973 72 to present so to 88 and then riff wrif which is riff of course the riff 101.1. And is anyone in uh, Detroit is listening? Uh, everyone knows that the, the main guy there was named uh, Arthur Penhallow. He went by the uh, the Grand Poobah. And his uh, tagline, he would just come on the radio and go, baby. And that's all he would do. 
That's all he would do. And and they had bumper stickers that just said baby. And people had T-shirts that just said baby. And everyone knew exactly, yeah, this is the riff. You listen to riff. That's cool. You listen to riff. That's the riff, 101.1. That, so a little fast forward. That's the only one that's still standing is the riff. That's the only station now that's still all rock station in okay. Detroit. So, so they, uh, I'm probably going to get this wrong. But I, the reason why I laid that out there is because it was one of these three stations that did this next thing. I don't know which one it was. Ah, I can't okay. remember. But someone will correct me. So I'm going to go with Riff did this, but I'm probably wrong. So they had this show um, called Headphones Only. And they would do it from 12 a.m. to 1 a.m. every Sunday night. And designed, you know, f- for songs that were mixed, mastered, to be listened to in headphones. So it was the first time I listened to um, Wind Cries Mary by Jimi Hendrix. I heard it differently in headphones through this show. I heard that song many times, but once you put headphones on, it totally changed the experience. Same with uh, Dark Side of the Moon. It was a totally unique experience with how it was mixed. That's cool. So uh, one of the... Um, one of the songs that, that really like cemented this kind of phenomenon for me was Hitch a Ride from the Boston record because it's mixed and designed so well. So they, the, the guitar solos in it are panning left and right. There's a call and response from one ear essentially to the other and what what I appreciate about all that that kind of that era is is how how much time how much devotion they put into making something unique. I mean, he he did f- probably a hundred different versions of more than a feeling before oh, he sure. decided. I want to make the perfect song. It's going to take me this long to get here, and I, I'm going to keep doing it until I get it. Right, which eventually would be his downfall. Yeah, because he, you know, they signed this record with Epic or this deal with Epic that that was ten records in six years. Which, had he had his head on straight, and he knew what kind of a person he was, he would have realized there's no way he could fulfill that commitment. Yeah, he spent three years on. Uh, just getting to the Boston record alone, two years to get Don't Look Back out. And even he says he felt rushed on that one at two years. And then it wouldn't be until 1986 when Third Stage came out after this long, embattled yeah. uh, you know, court fight with Epic Records because they, they were absolutely like... It, you made a deal and he's yeah. wiggling his way out of it. Well, he should have known better. He should have been like, oh, I can't sign a deal like that. But, you know, dollar signs. Yeah. Like, well, being what they are. But to take that time, like nowadays, the the end is the product. Yes. And And the goal is to get the product to market as fast as possible. And it's very possible that even then, that was the goal. I mean, you you did have you did have bands churning out 
you know, an album or two a year. Yeah. More inexpensive. And they were road dogs. They were touring all the time. And that's just kind of what they were. But nowadays, it, it like, I get in the studio, get six additional players in. I'll bring Pitbull in to DL Worldwide at some point. And, Worldwide! Uh, there we go. And then, and then we'll just flush this out. And it's art as commerce yeah. instead of art as art. And, and we all know, you know, Da Vinci could have probably like banged out a couple extra Mona Lisas for like 20 <laughs> or 30 lira and been like, oh, yeah, it's fine. But, but the devotion to craft and to making it unique and your own, which I don't think is there. I think it, it, I hate to use the word soulless for music nowadays. That's a pretty good term. Generally speaking, now, there's always exceptions. There are plenty of good bands out there that do it the right way. But generally, as an industry, the music is soulless. Now, back then, that devotion to craft was what would draw people in because it was meaningful. And just just a little thing like listening to a song like that in headphones and feeling a unique experience where you're like, like, really wrapped in though there's a guitar solo okay well, you know i'm familiar with guitar solos i know whoa that's totally different yeah that's that's to me adventurous and and cool and i miss that about music see i think two things have happened there too is it, uh, number one there's not a lot of people doing that kind of stuff anymore it's like you said it it's become a it's become more of a business than an art and the other side of that is that it has been done too much and it's become too repeated and too sensationalized. So once, you know, at the time Boston was doing that kind of stuff, it was new. It was exciting, you know, and then to be able to play it on the radio like that and say, you have to listen to this show on headphones if you really want the full experience. Mm -hmm. That was something that was new and exciting. And then, of course... I'm sure other people picked up on that and then it become became, you know, done to death where it was just, they were taking the same formula and repeating it over and over and over. And it wasn't a unique experience anymore. There was something that was just, you know, wrote, I guess people were just repeating it over and over and over again. I did it. Like if I was making tapes for people yeah, at post listening to headphones only, I wanted to like, and I would insist on, like, hey, 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 I'll use Chris as an example, even though I didn't make any tapes for Chris. But I'm like, hey, Chris, Chris, listen to this. But you got to listen to all these songs with headphones. I'm like, well, that's kind of a dick move. <laughs> I, well, I want to listen to it in my car. No. Too bad. Can't do it. Headphones only. You got to lay in bed and listen on your headphones. Which is exactly what I would do. Yeah. Sunday night at midnight parents went to bed you know i gotta get up for school the next day but i'm i have my stereo in my in my bedroom and i got headphones and i'm laying in the dark and i'm like oh my god i've never heard a song like <laughs> never heard it sound like this and i know all the words to this song i know this song back and forth i didn't know that that's what it did <laughs> like that's how it was designed to be heard because they were mixing probably mixing or mastering with headphones oh, on. Oh, yeah. So you're like, pan everything to the left, pan everything to the right. And then, like that, that, I don't know, that attention to detail, I think, 
lacks. It is pretty cool too, though, that you can listen to it just, you know, in the car or wherever, and it's a great song, but then you can put on a set of headphones and listen to it again. And it's like rediscovering the song all over again. Yeah. You're like, oh my God, I don't hear this in the car. I don't hear this coming out of the, you know, the mono speaker sitting on my desk. You don't hear that. You hear something totally different. Right. And I was reminded of that when I was listening to this for show prep, listening to this record again. And I was in the car a couple nights ago listening to Hitch a Ride on the Way Home, which is still my favorite song on the record. And remembering that solo and knowing note for note and knowing the pan's going to go from left to right, left to right, left to right. So when I went for a run today, I put my headphones in, I listened to the same thing. And it's like, there's a, there's a joyfulness in that kind of, again, we've talked about memory albums and where records take you back to. And this was that, this is one of those records that, you know, doing my paper out on my bike with my Walkman attached to my hip and listening to this for the 45 minutes it took me to do my paper out and, and just being so enraptured with what was happening, just being like, I, I, I can't believe music is like this. This is, this is, this is what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be joyful. It's supposed to be, I mean, there's plenty of time to listen to, you know, shoegazery stuff and all that, but, but there is like the, this record in particular has that, that bright, uplifting feel to it, like yeah. all the way through. And I get good list. I don't ever get tired of listening to this record, which is why when you mentioned it, I was like so excited because, because there, <laughs> there's nothing about it that I don't like and don't want to talk about and don't want to listen to, you know. Someone puts it on, and I'm like, yeah, it's Boston's on. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Let's listen to it. Well, I'm I'm glad I didn't pick something else uh, weird from my list of uh, albums that I want to talk about on the yeah, show. Don't worry, you'll get your chance. Oh, I, there will be some weird shit coming up, trust me. I mean, and, and in my defense, Rolling Stone gave this a glowing review. <laughs> right? They, they, uh, they loved it. Wow. How often does that happen? Not often. Not often. No. Not uh, not very often. No. You want to talk about it track by track, or we can, yeah, yeah. So album uh, opens with, with more than a feeling. Yes, it does. Probably Boston's best known song. Mm-hmm. I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is this very very long fade in. Which is very weird. What, and that, it's like 10 to 12 seconds, right? It's like 15 seconds to full volume. I timed it earlier today because I was like, why is that so long? That's good show prep right there. Right? Good for you. But it's based on, I mean, it has it, a bit of a a stolen sound from a, a song called Walk Away, Walk Away Renee. Ooh. Which that Tom Schulz openly admits that he kind of based it on that. But uh, walk away, walk away. Oh, I can't. Yeah, say by that. a band called Left Bank. Ooh, and uh, even uh, used the chord progression uh, following the uh, "I see my Marianne walking away." Use a chord progression from "Walk Away, Renee," right after that line. Hmm. So, did not know that. Yeah, I was busy uh, running a clock to the to the fade in. <laughs> Didn't do it in research, apparently. No, but it's 
to me, that's one of the things here that has always felt unusual is it's such a long fade in and you don't, that's not how so many, that's, I, I can't think of any other album that starts that way. I can think of a lot of albums where side A fades out and side B fades back in, mm-hmm. but I can't think of any that the side A starts with a long fade in. Hmm. Just off the top of my head anyways. I'm sure there's some out there. There are. And 2112 by Rush starts oh, with a slower fade in with the keyboards, you know, type thing. Okay. Yeah, it is It is a longer intro. Yeah. But that, is, that acoustic guitar just, right. just sings. Just it's like. It's beautiful. It is. It is. And there's nothing objectionable. And that it's just a well-crafted song. And it, it, I mean, it goes right into peace of mind, which yes. is equally good. And that, that's where that, uh, that quick strumming that Scholes would kind of utilize many, many times over the next several albums. That kind of, that sound is uh, very identifiable. Yes. As Boston. The vocals on peace of mind, too. Well, just, Delp is just in a right. He's in a whole other world. Just blow my mind every time I listen to it. That high note, that yeah, it's, <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I can't even like fake get close to that. It's just, it's crazy. I love that song. It's great. So there's nothing. I, I mean, say again, it's great a lot. That's okay. But it is great. It is great. Uh, Peace of mind was written about uh, Scholz's uh, Polaroid superiors. Mm-hmm. So he's like. Obviously pissed off about work. It's <laughs> when you do your best work is when you're pissed off. Here's work. my peace of mind. And I'm leaving to start a band. We're only going to sell like 31 million copies. <laughs> it's no big deal. Not a big deal. Foreplay slash long, long time. time. And that's that's one of the older songs. He had been yeah. working on that for years well, and years and years. He wrote foreplay when he was a student at MIT, right? Mm-hmm. As like a solo piece and just basically played around with it. It's almost eight minutes long. Yeah. It's got to be a really long instrumental introduction. Uh, uh, Schultz said that foreplay was the first song that he ever recorded and did it on a two-track machine in his basement. It was the first piece of music that he ever wrote. And wow. He wrote it back in 1969. Wow. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. So he plays the solo on uh, Hammond M3. Contrary to popular belief, the song was not recorded on a B3 because he didn't have enough money. Couldn't afford one. Bass part was doubled by a clavinet. And the synthesizers, synthesizer-like swoops in the song were produced by scraping a pick across the strings of a guitar in conjunction with distortion and delay. There is no synthesizer really on that record, on that song at all. Yeah, oh, that's cool. And he played none of the guitar solos on that song. All the guitar solos were played by Barry Goodrow. None of them were played by Tom Scholz on that song. Oh, I didn't know that. So that's a that's a good little tidbit, little tid, tidbit there. Tidbit. Tidbit. You want to keep going? Yeah. Rock and roll band. Rock and roll band. Everybody's waiting. This is the one. Getting just crazy. Just another band out of Boston. Anticipating. Great opening line for a song. Especially because it's so prophetic. It's pr- prophetic <laughs> and total bullshit, though. <laughs> 
It's complete and total crap. What makes you say that? The, right here where it says the song's lyrics exaggerate the band's story as they spent years of work and rejection to get their recording contract rather than suddenly being discovered by a record, record executive who happened to catch a show. Hmm. That's so it's a bunch of crap. All right. So I- Boston's official website acknowledges that that song is a charming bit of group self-mythology. <laughs> <laughs> A charming bit. So what are you saying? I'm saying I made the whole thing up to sell some records <laughs> in Boston. Sell some records. Records in Boston. Pack the can, have it, yeah. Pack the can, have it, yeah. But it's a great song anyway. It is. Smoking is such a gut bucket Southern rock song. <laughs> gut and bucket. And it's so great. He just said gut, gut bucket. Gut bucket Southern rock. Gut bucket. Gut bucket. Originally... Uh, called Shaken. Yeah. It's a song that was uh, covered by Anthrax at one point, which I think is an excellent version of that song. So good. Now I can think about his Randy's face when I said gut bucket. (laughs) That was the angriest look. What? Sorry. Just because he said gut bucket? Gut bucket Southern Rock. I did. No, I'm kidding. I don't <laughs> Is that know. in the Rolling Stone review? No, gut I don't. Bucket. I don't know where that. Uh, I don't know where I, that term actually came from. Gut bucket. Just. <laughs> <laughs> and what's after that? Hitch a ride. Hitch a ride. It slows it down a little bit. So good though. It is, and it it slows it down. It, it kind of. Gives you a little break in the middle of the side of the album. Right. And there's a keyboard part on there that uh, Scholes pulled the old George Harrison and slowed the tape down Ooh. with his finger to kind of give it a kind of a just a weirder sound to it. A little so bit of a warble. Warble. Warble is a good word. Warble. Warble. And then uh, what comes after that? Something, Something about, about you. you. Which Probably. if there was one that I it wasn't my favorite track on this record. That's that's at the bottom. It's still great. This is also the song that I think most people are least familiar with from this album, just because it's uh, it's not it's not played frequently. It's not it doesn't show up on uh, you know rock radio very often unless they're like playing this whole album. I heard it on uh, classic rewind. Ah, okay. And it was yeah, I was surprised that I heard it. But it's still, I mean, it's still fantastic. It is. It's still a great song. No, you said fantastic. I did. I did that one. Let me take you home tonight. I did that on purpose. And that rounds out the album. Right. And that's the one I feel like should end the first side. Yes. No. Hitch a Ride should end the first side. Oh. Hitch a Ride should end the first side. Let me take you home tonight moves up one track. Long time moves to the bottom and finishes. The record. That's hmm. how I would do it if if I were a producer. That's what I would do. I just love the. Uh, I don't even know how to describe it. The sort of. Uh, it's almost like a gospel song. In the end of uh, "Let Me Take You Home Tonight." Oh, there's a lot going on. <laughs> when, it, when the pace picks up, yeah, yeah. There's just there's so much going on. There is. And that's it. That's Boston by Boston. It indeed is. You know, like like Kyle said, I would say there there can't be a lot of people out there that don't know anything about this record. Yes. 
that or have not heard, whether that be listening to the radio or playing rock band or guitar hero or hearing it in a movie. Yeah. It's it's pretty uh omnipresent. It's it's been around for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> and so we know you've heard it. And for me, it's just like I said at the outset, it's just one of the finest rock records I think ever recorded. Set the table for arena rock, became the benchmark that that bands like Ario Speedwagon, uh, Journey, Sticks, Kansas, all those bands would look back on and and be like, "That's where we want to be." There's one more that you didn't mention in there that I think is they took so much from Boston, not took, but they, they were so heavily influenced by Boston and they're such a weird outlier. The darkness. Oh. Cause it was this yeah. huge gap because there was all this like, you know, rock era stuff that kind of went away because of the 90 sound. And then <laughs> and then along comes the darkness in 2003 And they're so heavily, even the cover to Permission to Land, their first album, it's a naked woman on the end of a runway with two ping pong paddles directing a giant spaceship (laughs) to land. And it says Permission to Land underneath her on on the tarmac. It looks exactly like a Boston album cover. And a lot of the music on it is very, uh, very heavily influenced by Boston. You can can, can hear it. it. And they've since their sound has changed a lot over the years, but that first album is very heavily influenced. What's the name of it? Darkness? What? Permission, uh, to, permission land. to Land. There's a couple of pretty good songs on there. It's a not, it is a pretty good album. I like it. So, well, that's fair. You're entitled to like it. No, I'm I don't. Not, I'm I don't know that I've ever opinion. listened to front to back. I know ah. I've listened to parts of it. But I haven't listened to the I believe thing. in a thing called love is the song that everybody knows. Of course. Over there. I know that. And that even that, the music video for that is kind of a ridiculous send up. It's a little of, over the top. Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> a little over the top. It's a little over the top. But that's Boston. Boston. Boston, Boston. Boston, Boston. And uh we're glad that you hung hung with us for uh whatever. Yes. However long this episode lasts. And we really appreciate people coming back. We're we're starting to get a little bit more feedback. Yes, we're things are starting to uh, roll and happen. We have uh, some more interviews lined up, and uh, things are are getting a little exciting. And 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 we're happy to do it for you. If you have questions or show ideas or any sort of feedback negatively or positively or if you want to tell us what your boston story is yeah please do this is one of those albums that i feel like there's a lot of people out there who are like the first time i met my future wife we were listening to this album or you know the first time we our child was conceived to more than a feeling or yeah, okay. please keep it keep I'll it pg g- please I'll, a, I'll do a short recap of that oh boy but but no i mean if you send me the story, I'll do a short <laughs> recap of it. Oh, that makes more sense. Yeah, and not no, but yeah, <laughs> let let us know. And uh, next episode, we get some feedback. We'll cover it at the top of the show, and so uh, we can share some stories with you. I think hopefully we'll have an opportunity to do that in the future. Um, if you want to get a hold of us, you can get a hold of us at info at audiojudo.com or Facebook 
at Audio Judo. Twitter, Audio Judo. Instagram, at Audio Judo. Very simple. Simple, simple enough. Um, and and reach out and uh, and let us know what you think. Um, Please. Uh, I have a couple of show ideas for the next show. Ooh. Um, and I don't know where Kyle's going to land on 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 which one of these he's going to want to do. Oh. Um, uh, so one show idea is uh, is basically covering a window of uh, when someone was at their peak creatively and then quickly faded out of the limelight. Ooh. Or I have uh, I've done a bunch of research on this. Um, it's not one particular night, but it's a generalization. It's the night. That hair metal died and grunge was born. Ooh. So it's up to you. I I know I'm leaning towards doing the hair metal grunge thing. I think we get to do that one. And I think I think it'd be very interesting because it's not technically one night, but but there are some uh there are some big landmarks when the death knell was rung for hair metal. <laughs> so Hopefully you'll tune in for that. We got a, a bunch of exciting stuff coming up. So um, keep listening and let us know what you think. And until next time. Thanks, everybody. And we'll talk to you again soon. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.